This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. Make sure to register for the next National Disciple Making Forum at discipleship.org so that you can receive in person the kind of content that you'll hear on this podcast. Go to discipleship.org to reserve your seat now. Today we're featuring an episode by Emotionally Healthy Discipleship called Creating a Healthy Culture in Teams with Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And it features Pete Scazzaro. Here's today's featured episode. Welcome. Great to have you here. Uh, my wife is supposed to be here, but she discovered uh, Franklin. <laughs> and uh, we discovered Nashville. We went to Nashville a couple of times before, but only to speak and we were out. But we spent like three days in Nashville. Anyone from Nashville? We love Nashville. A lot of great places to eat. The country and music museum was unbelievable. So I'm an Italian-American. Okay, my parents and grandparents, immigrants from Italy. And it's so funny because my father played guitar, and I grew up with my father as Italian and all his un- ta- my Italian uncles playing country music, like Chet Atkins. I never realized that, like they were so into country music until I got here, like Johnny Cash and... Like, I learned guitar playing Johnny Cash songs from my dad. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he was tied into Nashville, my father, in Brooklyn, New York. And I was like, the irony of ironies. Huh? So we've had a lovely time here. And what we really like about the South is anybody could buy a house here. I mean, you know, you can, it's so reasonable to live around here compared to New York. And uh, so our topic is uh, emotionally healthy culture and team building. And, uh, but all roads lead to Rome. And I put this up there because what we're talking about is, uh, this is like my best image of EH discipleship, which is, um, you know, we talk about this emotionally healthy discipleship. We're talking about like an icebreaker ship going into the Antarctic. Now, that ship is a Russian-owned one that's powered by two nuclear reactors. And the hull weighs multiple tons. And the way it goes, it goes up and boom, 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 and it breaks up the ice. And really what we're talking about here today is like, when we say emotionally discipleship, you got to see it as an icebreaker ship coming into church world and it's busting up ways of doing things that have been going on for a very long time. And it's slow and it's a messy, but it's powerful. And if you'll have the courage to take those steps and, and as an icebreaker, you see how the roads open there, you know, the... And what they do is, and of course, other tankers come and they can bring their goods in those huge ships and, and all kinds of things follow once the icebreaker goes through. In the same way, what we're doing, I believe in our, in our unique calling at Emotional Discipleship is opening up a paradigm of doing leadership and doing life uh, in, a, in the missional, you know, evangelical church that opens up things. At, and if you do, as you do, it just... All these things begin to happen way beyond anything you could ever have imagined. But the, but what we presently have must be broken up. Uh, and in some ways, there's an unlearning that has to happen along with the learning uh, for people. So l- l- let me just ramble a bit. I got two friends here uh, who are going to share with me, too, that have been involved with us. So just culture. How many of you have read the Emotionally Healthy Leader book? Just raise your hands. Okay, good. So there's actually a chapter on this, and we're going to expand on it a bit. But you, you, you can want to look at that. But culture is a very difficult thing to define. 
Uh, it's that imprecise something, the invisible presence or personality of a place that can be difficult to describe without actually experiencing it. It's more readily felt than articulated. So you can go into a, like an IBM, an Apple, a Google. You know, there's a culture there. Uh, every workplace has it. Every, uh, every church has a culture. And uh, so EH discipleship is actually a culture. It is a culture. Uh, and uh, it's not a program, although you're going to hear about a programmatic element that we had to develop in order to put a stake in the ground to change culture long term. Um, and I'm going to give you four essentials of what we call an emotionally healthy culture and team. That, um, and then I'll talk to you about you know, how, you, how you get there. So, so the first is that work and formation are inseparable. So we like to say, as goes the leader, so goes the church. Like you, you just, you don't like, say, you know, you pick up emotional leadership or just, you know, pick up some materials on our stuff. We would say you're, as a leader, we're concerned about your task, whether it's leading a small group or a worship leader or whatever your task might be in the church. But it's not just you doing that work. It's your formation is equally important. Uh, you know, that, that's that's quite a statement to say. So, in other words, as I'm as we're working together as a as a leader as a team, I'm concerned as first about your formation and about your role, but they're inseparable. So you can be great at your role, but you're not growing and maturing and being transformed. This isn't going to work. It's not going to work. And so, every for example, in our case, every staff person has got a a rule of life that. They operate out of, and we're concerned about things like your marriage or singleness. I'll talk about that later. Your rhythms of being with Jesus, uh, your self-care, how you're engaging limits. Uh, but depending on you, know, you uh, your vulnerabilities, your specific areas where you need to grow, you are going to be asked about your just your own formation, your own growth in Jesus. Uh, that's why actually people want to work at a place like this. Because you're actually going to be growing, um, and we're paying you to pray. I once, I once, a megachurch guy once interviewed me many years ago, and this is before like we kind of got more well known. And I told him, I said, "No, no, this, we pay people to pray." And he goes, "That's ridiculous." I said, "I said we're a church, and it's Benedictine spirituality. To pray is to work. To work is to pray. They're meant to be inseparable." And he goes, well, I can't imagine it ever working in a church, but you go for it. And uh, that, I, I would say that describes most culture, evangelical culture too, especially when you're driving to grow a church in, numerically and pushing hard because you don't really have a lot of time for your formation. It's just kind of like hold it together and we got to keep charging. As long as you're not in crisis. And honestly, the way I used to operate in the early days, pre-emotionally healthy discipleship, on our staff, I don't know if you guys with her in a car, and she opened up the glove compartment and she had about, 30 to 40 parking tickets uh, and a few speeding tickets as well. And I was like, oh. You know, and the car, of course, was, was a wreck. But I didn't know what to say. She was really a good staff, actually, in many ways. Her life was spinning out of control in other areas. But since this was not a value, um, I just like, just hold it together. I'm going to send you a conference in Tennessee. You know? they, they're going to intercede over you. It's going to all be good. Uh, and it, she didn't make it long term. And I, I regret I, we were unable to help her at the time. I didn't have a theology for her, didn't know what to do with her, uh, to serve her. And we were all young, uh, and it's really a shame. But that, that's number one. Uh, and again, it slows you down. You're going to hear the word slow down a lot here. Number two is, okay, we're about formation, the messiness. And I, I like that picture just because formation is messy. Uh, 
especially when you're dealing with your team. You're concerned about your team. Okay, second is this. Uh, because you want to know your own vulnerabilities, know the vulnerabilities of your team, and then you shape your supervision for both performance and formation. So, for example, um, uh, I think one guy that was on staff, and, and he just did, he came from a family where he just, they did, they did not do weakness. He didn't do failure. He just did like, he, he was a very smart guy. And his problem was he would teach, but he wasn't teaching out of brokenness. He was kind of teaching just great content. And um, it was a problem because it wasn't that easy to get close to him, but he was a very brilliant guy. And so his supervisor, every single week when he met with him, his first question was, tell me where you, where you failed this week. And talk to me about where you were able to be vulnerable with somebody this week. And he needed that kind of accountability in his life from a supervisor. But of course, it assumes the supervisor is living this thing out as well, knows his own vulnerabilities. Another fellow just, just you know, tendency toward, towards being overcommitted, having a tough time with limits, right? And I, I'm a person that sees opportunities. I, long, I, I lunge for it, you know? And so every week, say, you know, how are you doing with your limits? How are you doing with your, with really balancing things, holding things, you know, working within a certain framework and not going beyond it? Other folks prioritizing their marriage uh, because you'll hear about leading out of your marriage. You know, how is your marriage? If your wife was here or your husband was here, what would they say to me right now about how you're doing? But you're asking penetrating questions based on their vulnerabilities. And uh, so you are doing things like genograms, and we'll talk about the course. You're, they're exposed to a, a kind of discipleship that's much broader, but you're applying it now quite deeply to them as leaders. Uh, so here's, for example, a, a fellow that um, he, he was a I put this in here because I just... <laughs> um, uh, this is a... Uh, 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 was actually out of a marriage group, and this fellow became a staff person. He was actually quite a well-known staff person in megachurches around the country. He ended up at New Life Fellowship. He wasn't on staff any longer. He was just in our church. He was in a marriage group, and his father was a pastor, and his grandfather was a pastor. So he's probably in his mid-40s, maybe late 40s. And so this is like a Ten Commandment sheet of how did your family of origin do these things? And I'll just read it to you. So I know you can't read it there in the back. So how did your family do appreciations? And Bert, he writes birthdays and Christmas. You know, that's it. You know, how did your family do empathy and feeling felt? He wrote, nope. How did your family do anger, sadness, fear, and hurt? Anger, yelling, zip on the other. Rest. How would your family do affection through touch? Zero to ten, yes. Zero, ten and up, no. You know, how would your family do words? Zip. Okay, he doesn't talk a lot either. Quiet. <laughs> but quite a good performer in public. I mean, not performer. He was like really extroverted, could run a program for a th- thousand kids uh, easily. But yet, this is his personality one-on-one and relationally. Uh, how'd, you, how'd you do conflict in your family of origin? Mom complain, dad zip. You know, how'd your family do forgiveness? Silent treatment, it will pass. How'd your family do sex? Taboo, because we don't talk about it. How'd your family do children? Uh, more the merrier, lots of cousins. How'd your family do marriage? Uh, never talked about it. It uh, just must marry a believer. How about men and women's roles? Men rule, women cook. So obviously, now, now think of it. This guy is a megachurch children's pastor, sought after because he can get crowds in. They get the kids in. Their parents want to come. The parents come. They're giving money. Uh, you know, it's, it's built. So of course, he's quite popular. Uh, but this is his level of formation. So he actually came on as an intern, and eventually now he's, he's on staff. But 
you can rest assured his supervisor is asking him, uh, how are you doing with connecting with people? How are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing in parenting? Uh, how are you doing in not being basically a performer? Because what kind of formation is he going to do with those children? Program. He's not going to do, he's not going to be forming anybody. He's not taking those kids anywhere. He may keep them in the building. He may grow the church numerically and financially. Uh, but if you're building a healthy culture, we call it emotionally healthy culture, it means his formation is going to be the formation of those children. He can't bring them where he doesn't go himself. It's not possible. So he's going to be asked that question. So, you know, and based on your commandments of your family of origin, what does someone need to ask you every week? You know, so, so think of it just yourself even. Uh, now, you may not have anybody in your workplace that does it, but maybe you can find someone who does it. Uh, my wife does that quite well for me, you know, and, you know, because... <laughs> uh, I mean, it's probably one of the best gifts I have of discernment because my wife doesn't tolerate anything. And uh, she, just, she just wouldn't do it. So, uh, but for me, my, probably one of my core things I have to ask mine every week is, uh, Pete, how are you doing regarding just re- embracing your limits? Embracing limits. Uh, because I love opportunity. I'm a visionary and I just enjoy it. And I, I can have three visions by 10 o'clock, you know. And uh, so... Okay, so first is work and formation are inseparable. So it's really quite a big thing to say that because it really does shift. It slows you down, and it shifts the way you see yourself as the, if you're, if you're with your team. Number two is that elephants in the room are acknowledged and confronted. That's really quite big because I don't like confronting anything. Uh, but there's a basic principle that big elephants come from little elephants, and big elephants, at least the female ones, have babies. And they, they tend to multiply. And uh, so when you think about, you know, elephants in the room are acknowledged and confronted. Just think about that for a second. And wherever you work right now and you're serving, how often there's an elephant in the room, but nobody says anything. And you're just kind of like, da 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 You know, and I, I get the world functions like that. What's so sad is the church does. But an emotionally healthy culture and team building means like we're actually like, like we're going to acknowledge it. Like there's there's something wrong here. Like, and we're actually going to talk about it uh, and confront it. So, you know, there was a fellow. Uh, let me stop here. So, so there was a fellow on our. Um, I got hired on our staff, and he was uh, Indian American. Uh, so his parents are from India, and we have a big South Asian population in uh, Queens. And so came on staff, and so I got to know him a little bit. Uh, this is after I was a lead pastor. And so it, was, it, it came clear that uh, he, did not do any, he did not do conflict. He just didn't do conflict. So he would do what I used to do. He lied. So if you don't do conflict, you have to lie because you're not going to be honest. So you're just, everything's fine, and, but it's not. But you make believe it's fine. And you actually convince yourself it's fine. So what happened was he had this event where he was responsible for, and the, the person who was responsible administratively made a mistake in who was going to get baptized this particular week, Easter weekend. Make a long story short, as a result of that person's mistake, it cost him his anniversary with his wife, the, his first anniversary, an entire day's work. Um, and then he sees her the next day. When he sees her, and she says, oh, sorry, about I, I made that mistake. She has no idea what it cost him the entire day before. Uh, and he says, no problem. And that's it. So he just happens to tell this to us in passing, like the, the following week. We're like, you said what to her? And I just said, it's okay. 
And we said, well, was it okay? That's ah, all right, you know. Then we, then we basically forced him to unpack the story of how that he was on a date with his wife, the day unpacked, the frustrate hours, five hours, uh, his stress level, and that basically he was lying to her. And then we got into whole his family of origin, his genogram. Then we got into uh, Southeast Asia, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, South Asia, you know, yeah, South Asian culture, India, India. And then we got into his past church experiences of church splits. He's a big, he was a big guy. He actually like kept. He actually broke up physical fights at congregational meetings in his Indian church. So I said, you mean to tell me you plan to bring that to our church? Like, you think that you're going to be on staff in this church and you're going to live your family of origin and Indian culture from Queens, New York, in New Life Fellowship Church? I said, so basically, either you are going to learn this or you can't work here. It was that simple. Because what's going to happen is you're going to recreate a culture like all those church splits you had. I don't want that. I know you don't. But it's inevitable because you don't do conflict. You lie. You, you, you lie to her. And she was older than him. And she had been on staff for 20-something years. So, again, culturally, confronting an older person. She'd been on staff 25 years. He'd been on staff three months. I mean, there were so many dynamics for him to have a conversation with her. So we basically had to coach him through it. He had to learn to grow through it. But it was an elephant in the room that could easily have been, who has time for that? Just Let's just move on. The, the baptism went great. Everyone's happy. And why go back and deal with that elephant? Why? Because you're creating culture. So every elephant actually is a gift. So when I first got into this, I'd been pastor already at New Life Fellowship Church for, um, how many years? Let me think. Seven, eight, nine years. So I had created, there were, there were so many elephants at New Life Fellowship Church, I didn't know where to start. I was the first elephant. You know, I was the elephant. But since I planted the church, I couldn't blame anybody else for all the messes. So I remember when I, got, I finally got into this emotionally other discipleship, and I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm going to live in honesty. That was like our first big step, which meant I was going to acknowledge there was an elephant in the room. So I said, where do I start when there's so many elephants? Big, small. They were, they were at the table. They, they had more seats at the table than people. And I remember my work as a guy who doesn't like conflict was begin one by one to begin to confront the elephants in the room with people individually, call them out, you know, over a period of years. But I basically said, either the elephant is going to go or I'm going to go. Like, I'm not going to live like this anymore. Because I realize you can't build the kingdom of God on lies. You, 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 you can't. The kingdom of God's built on truth. And... Elephants are lies that we make believe aren't there, but they're there. And, and, and we all belong to the nice Christian culture. It's not, we're nice. We're nice. And some cultures are really nice. You know, Southern culture tend to be really nice. Midwest culture, Canadian culture. But I'd say in general, Christian culture is nice. Um, and so this is really hard to do, and you've got to do it tactfully and thoughtfully. But um, it, it, it's, it's a big value for – you're not going to have an emotionally healthy culture unless someone's willing to do this. Because it's, they're normal. They show up at the table. Thirdly, is time and energy are invested in the team's personal development. Now, I'm not talking about just the individual now. I'm talking about actually the team. Um, that you're actually thinking through their development. Now, I'm not just talking about doing a DISC or Myers-Briggs. I'm talking about thoughtfully, like, how am I going to develop them as a team uh, in their in their relationship with Jesus. And so maybe you'll have an all-day retreat, but you may take half that day 
and do development. Um, you've actually now reprioritized your time, where development is equally important as the work. So you, again, we're back to slowing down the work. Everything's slowing down everything, because all of a sudden you're going after a quality place that's modeling what you're preaching. What's really sad is how many people used to say to me, I want to go to church. I just want to sit in the back and enjoy it. I don't want to know what's going on behind closed doors. Because every time I do, it gets worse. The deeper I get in, the worse it gets in this church. You ever heard that expression? That is so sad. Yeah. No, they're supposed to be saying, I want to get in deeper because the deeper I get in, the better it gets. This is awesome. That's what we're after here. Um, it's called integrity. Who we are on the outside is who we are on the inside. Um, and so uh, that was a big switch that you actually like, you know, we, we would do, we would do uh, every year, twice a year, we go away for staff overnight and we do a two-day. It used to be we plan from 9 a.m. to 5.30, 6 o'clock. We're just working. Maybe we're going to do something fun at night, but it was work. We're going to do strategy. We're going to expand the ministry here, and we're going to be off to the races. It was a huge switch to say, no, no, we're going to invest time in team development. And it could be everything, anything from uh, something to get people connected to their being out of which they do for Jesus. That's really the core. And so thinking about things like, you know, it may be something as a rule of life, which I don't know how familiar you are with the rule of life, and how do I, how do you redo your rule of life? Or we create a number of kind of tools for teams to help people lead out of their being with Jesus, but basically helping them deepen their walk with Jesus. They're listening to Jesus out of which they lead, because that is the greatest challenge when you're in leadership, is how do I do out of being? That is the greatest challenge. And so we saw, we had to see every staff gathering and retreat as I've got to help people get more deeply grounded in being. Not that we are concerned about your doing, but being. And so we created new skills plus new language plus intentional follow-up equals transformed community. So, so there's a sense where, where I'm going to talk to you about the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course in a little while. But, so we developed these skills because we want to create a new culture. And so the discipleship course embodies the culture. And the key for leadership for us is we actually live it, and it's a new language, but there's intentional follow-up. So say, for example, what's your name? Jennifer. Jennifer. So Jennifer says at the staff meeting, and Jennifer says in the meeting, you know, Peter, worship went way too long last week. And, you know, it just went way too long. It was actually too loud. Well, that would be a moment. And I went on to say something in the meeting because I don't want to shame her in the meeting. But afterwards, because one, one of the skills is uh, when you make a complaint, uh, you do it respectfully, uh, and you always make a recommendation for change. And so we actually have some language. I noticed, Peter, that worship went 15 minutes over, and I know you felt the spirit was moving, but I was preaching, and you kind of took over there, you know. But I prefer if you're going to extend worship 15 minutes and thus ask me to go 15 minutes less, that you would talk to me about it beforehand. And not just make the decision unilaterally, but it'd be a moment of, of follow-up for her because I'm creating culture of how we even do a complaint. Does that make sense? So every time you're seeing, in a sense, this culture forming, and we have certain skills, someone does dirty fighting, sarcasm across the table, or some passive-aggressive behavior, or they're sitting at the table like this, and they're looking down. The meeting's going on at a staff meeting, and this person the whole time is just looking down like this. And this happens. And... and you're like, why don't they look around? They're being so discourteous, you know? And, and so, but afterwards, we'll go to them and say, hey, Matt, are you aware that during the meeting, when everyone was talking and sharing that you're, the whole time your, your, your arms were crossed like this and you seemed so disinterested you were looking down? 
And uh, actually, what happened? This actually happened. I, and he said, "I just that's I didn't even I was first. I wasn't even aware I do it." And back to his genogram, and so it all went back to his family of origin, and how he was treated as a kid. And because he was one of the younger staff, he felt like a kid, although he wasn't a kid. He was like six foot three, uh, but he was newer. And he just saw himself as an almost invisible in the room. And yet, because he has a big presence, he actually had a commanding voice. When he actually spoke, it was kind of like, wow. But he's carrying this, whatever it is, you know, wound or whatever you want to call it, immaturity. But that is a moment to basically his formation. Because he's, he's unaware of how, he's, how other people experience him. And no one's been mature enough around him to actually give him feedback. And so actually, as team leaders, we want to grow into become the most mature people in the room. That I may not know that, I may not know Rich. Rich, I had a person on staff, she, she was very, very smart, very gifted. Every time I was with her, I felt criticized. You ever have people like that? Like, they just, and, and they're often right, you know, they're, they're able to see things that are wrong. And they just, but when you're with them, you kind of feel that zing. And I just, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not, you know, but I did know that when I was with her, I would feel it. And so I said to her, let's call her Jane. Jane, I just want to share with you how I experience you. I said, you know, when I'm with you and you share, I generally feel judged and worse. Um, And I gave her a couple of examples. And again, I, I realized in her life, probably very, very few people, if any had ever given her that kind of honest and, I think, kind feedback in a gentle way. And she was actually like, wow, really? But she's just so strong as a person, a very gifted leader. And she just needed someone to give her that kind of a feedback. Again, why? Because I care about our culture. I care about her, and I care about the culture we're creating here. Because I'm not, if I'm feeling like that, I'm not the only one. And I wasn't, of course, the only one. And uh, so we create skills like, you know, a community temperature reading, you know, and we teach people how to express appreciations and puzzles and complaints, et cetera. And, uh, you know, that's our first, first of eight skills. And so we actually have what's called a relationships course, which people actually learn some skills as part of the church culture. But the leaders as a culture actually, it's in their bones. They live it, they live it almost without thinking. And so when they see something like dirty fighting, we teach clean fighting, not dirty fighting. But people have people the first identify their dirty fighting, whether it's sarcasm, silent treatment, you know how it is, triangle with other people, throw things, yelling things, threatening things. You know, we all got our dirty fighting we pick up from our families. So we teach clean fighting. But staff got to be able, or, or leaders on a team have to be clear enough about, so we, can, we know our, what we tend to go to under stress, but we actually can help other people say, no, no, here at our, at our church here, we're the new family of Jesus. We don't do dirty fighting. But now they've been doing this their whole life this way, under stress. So it's a great moment. Again, you're forming culture. But that's why for us, we call the Emotional Healthy Discipleship course, and this is part two of it, um, you know, we teach certain skills about how we operate. We, we teach speaking and listening. So we speak clearly, respectfully, honestly, in a timely way. That's a, that's a value as a culture. So when someone's speaking unclear, not honest, uh, not respectfully, you can rest assured we're going to talk to them. And hopefully, because we're committed to a healthy culture, we are, we are doing it as a staff, as a leadership, and then we're bringing that to the rest of the church. And they're exposed to a basic skill, but someone's got to be able to reinforce it as a culture. But we've got to learn as a team to live it first. Does that make any sense? Um, and then lastly is this. The quality of people's marriages and singleness is foundational. 
the, the basic value is that, that oh man, I'm carried away here, that um, if you're a Christian, your first calling is to Jesus, obviously, but if you're married or single, that's your secondary vocation. If you're living out your following of Jesus as a single person or as a married person. And therefore, we would say that there's a whole theology around that, that you're meant to be a sign and wonder in your singleness or your marriage. So the quality of how you're living that out is very important. So we're going to ask if you're single, how are you doing with some core friendships and relationships? You know, what are you doing to make sure you're investing in time? It's not easy being a single Christ follower, male or female. Uh, how are you doing to make sure you're nurturing yourself? You have time for delight. You've got time for joy. You've got time for some great friendships. And uh, we, we don't want you working. We're, we don't want you working to compensate for loneliness. All right. We want you to have a whole life, and because you're modeling out of your integrity of your singleness, being a sign of wonder. And same thing with marriages. We want marriages that are signs and wonders to Jesus that are deeply invested in. So again, culturally, um, we're going to make sure you're investing in your marriage. So we, we pay for people to go to therapy. Pay for it. Absolutely. I'll lead the way. And uh, because we want you to have a great marriage if you're married. And that takes a lot of work. It also takes a lot of time. Be a great single takes a lot of time. We don't want you working 90 hours a week. You're not, that's not a good model for us. And so these four, I would say, are like kind of the overall like things that are being now drilled in. Again, this all takes time. Just, you know, if you're married, we're going to ask your spouse, how are you? Because that tells us a lot. And um, so the emotion of the leader actually talks about some of this stuff in it, if you've not seen that, that book. And we like to put it this way. This, here's our basic thesis, that your inner life now, I'm talking about leadership here in this room, because we're talking about a healthy culture. Your inner life is like the pilings of a skyscraper that go deep in the ground. That if those pilings of a skyscraper don't go deep into granite um, and it's done poorly, the building eventually will lean when it's built. Windows won't open. Um, and so and they've, had, they've had that actually happen in Manhattan, where they've done the pilings into the rock poorly. And so I determined over my decades of leadership, there was four issues that... Uh, if they're not solid in your inner life and you're not growing in these four issues, they will eventually come out in your outer life of leadership. And the four were face your shadow, which is your genogram, your, your, just your, your shadow side. You, know? and it's, you lead out of your marriage or singleness, that you're actually leading out of that place. Thirdly, you're slowing down your life for loving union with Jesus. You're not running crazy. Uh, because if you're frantic, our culture's doomed. Uh, that means the whole place is frantic. And you practice Sabbath delight, that you have a rhythm of, work and Sabbath. Your, your whole life is not ministry. Your life is Jesus. And you've got a rhythm in your life. And you've got a life outside of work uh, and ministry. And that informs how you do everything else. Now, we're talking about culture and team building. So that's why, as a leader, I'm concerned about your inner life, because that's going to inform the kind of team that we have. And we're going we're to work on that. So what you do matters, but who you are matters more. It's basically the thrust of emotionally healthy team building. And the state you're in is the state you give to others. We like to say you cannot give what you do not possess. You can only give what you do possess. So it's not just your giftedness or your skills that matter. It's your person that matters the most. And, uh, and so towards that end, there's that icebreaker, you know. And so maybe Drew and Steve's come here for a couple minutes here and, and take, you know, three, four minutes each. And this, so, so we've developed this thing called the uh, discipleship course, which is our way of planting something in the culture that is the framework for discipleship and leadership. But then when we talk about culture and team building, we are zealous that as a leadership, we're going to live it first. So here's, a, here's an ebook which I want to recommend you, you pick up. You can download it from our, our website. 
org slash church culture. It's like 15 pages. It's free. But we want to create a culture that deeply changes life with a slow down spirituality, integrity and leadership, beneath the surface discipleship, healthy community, passionate marriages and singleness, and every person's in full-time ministry. Um, and the way we get there is through this thing called the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Core. So maybe Steve and Drew, just take a few minutes about culture and team building. What has been key for you in building a healthy culture and team in your church in Illinois? Steve's one of our level three coaches at, uh, of the discipleship course. He helps churches around the country, not just his own. And, uh, and Drew leads a church planting movement in Queens, uh, I'm sorry, in New York City. Uh, he was on our staff 10 years, and I'm now almost 20. Uh, and they've both been pretty involved with us here in emotionally discipleship now for a very, very long time. So you want to go first? And- sure. sure. Um, well, first of all, there's like a ton of things that I could talk about uh, in this area, really the uh, church culture. But what I'll focus on specifically is the way um, that the EHD and especially the EH relationship has transformed my wife and I who in our marriage it has uh, in in a sense transformed um, the leadership and and the culture of our church as a whole Um, uh, you know before before beginning EHD before even getting introduced to this uh, Marcy and this is my wife Marcy she is she's the better part of me but uh, um, we were we were on a rat race. I mean, we were on a, uh, a we were on a racetrack going as fast as we could, uh, nonstop. As a matter of fact, um, when before coming to the context where we are at now, which has been about three and a half years, um, we were sitting on I specifically was sitting uh, on the edge of do I even want to do ministry anymore? Um, I shared yesterday at the uh, conference that. You know, I had reached a point in ministry where um, I was so burnt out and so frustrated with uh, what was happening in the church culture. Uh, I would get up in the mornings at like 7 o'clock and kiss her. She'd go off to work and I'd tell her I was going to go off to work and I'd go find uh, a park and take my iPad and sit there and watch movies for, you know, eight or nine hours instead of going to the office and doing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> confession time, Okay. Fast forward now, you know, Marcy and I, uh, we practice Sabbath. We practice the silence. Uh, we practice loving union. Uh, our marriage uh, our marriage is more uh, powerful and is, we're, we're uh, more solid today than, and than we've ever been because of EHD and the understanding of Sabbath, and, you know, uh, we do the we practice Sabbath, you know, on, on Friday afternoons, and it changes from season to season. So just know that sometimes seasons we're coming into that season of life where all of our kids are growing up, and so uh, they've all left the house, and so I'm trying to convince her to buy like a one bedroom condo so that none of them can come back. Uh, she's not on board with that, but uh, so in our lives now we're able to really. Uh, to practice the Sabbath, to practice the silence and just the, you know, and and I say all that to say in our context with our leadership, we have a lot of young leaders in our church. Them seeing the health of our marriage uh, through uh, just the practicing uh, of the components of EHD, it is transforming them and and transforming their lives also. So it's awesome. All right, you take it off. 
Yeah. Um, uh, hi, everyone. My name is Drew. I was on staff with Peace Control for 10 years in Queens. Uh, before uh, 2012, we started what's become a family of churches in the city. And um, so I've been deeply shaped by emotionally healthy discipleship and, and part of our discipleship pathway is the courses that Pete mentioned. It's very central to what we do. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking, you know, so much of disciple making is teaching. It's, it's what's taught as well as what's caught, right? I mean, and, and if, we, if we think about it, I know that for me, I would really, really love the, the kind of disciple making that simply just plug and play, just give me what to teach, and then out comes a fully formed disciple. And um, I think, in fact, most of perhaps the evangelical world is shaped kind of with this programmatic, informational kind of um, experience. But I know that in my own experience with Pete and going through these courses, so much of it is not so much about information as it is about transformation. Um, and how do we, and, and even these cultural markers that Pete just brought up, it's actually intruding on the lives of people that are not really part of the discipleship, you know, like, oh, we're studying Mark 14 today, and like, oh, wow, this, you know, it, it, it's not, it's the everyday life. All these cultural moments are moments that I've taught from, that I've learned from Pete, that have deeply shaped me through the courses as well as just watching uh, him and Jerry instill a culture that becomes the engine by which we're trying to produce healthy disciples who are creating loving human beings, right? Like, because that's the goal, the great commandment. And, um, I mean, I was just thinking as Pete was sharing some of this, like, how Pete, you know, even the, even the moments when he said, addressing the elephants in the room and having people navigate through conflict, like, just that moment, um, I actually was dealing with a staff issue today, and I'm seven years removed from being on Pete's staff, but I was, uh, there was an issue where there was a senior staff person who was very well-educated, has been in ministry for years, but was really mistreating this younger staff person. Mm. And uh, I had to step in and navigate a conflict between the two and begin to instill healthy practices about listening with sympathy with one another and understanding, practicing forgiveness with one another. Now, these were skills, honestly, like if I had not gone through the, co- the courses and um, again, both taught as well as caught from my time with Pete and Jerry, I would not have known, how do I handle that situation? How do I enter a, a, a situation where there's a senior staffer who actually has more years than me, and someone who is young and is, um, feels really, really, but doesn't have the tools by which they can articulate um, lovingly and respectfully what they're going through? And, uh, but I realized walking through that environment, there had been enough tools that both had been taught to me as well as that I had, that I had caught that now it becomes a culture-shaping moment for us as we lead our volunteers, as we lead the disciples that they're discipling. I want them to know that, hey, these are the moments, the real stuff of life, you know, as we talk about the iceberg, the stuff below the surface, the real stuff of life when we're, is what we're trying to teach people about what it means to truly be a disciple. It's not simply, and again, I'm all for memorizing scripture, all for developing like a, like a, a furnace of prayer. But what does it look like for us to learn to be loving human beings and disciples of Jesus, walking in the way of Jesus? And I think, uh, and I think really the, the cultural principles that Pete's talking about, it's both what's, what's taught as well as what's caught. Mm. And I think the courses are setting a framework for a cultural engine of disciple-making that allows a culture to be caught and taught. It's um, good. So let me take like three minutes. Let me review the course, and I want to take some questions from you, okay, before we close here. So it's, two co- it's one course in two parts, emotionally spirituality and emotionally relationships. So 
This is not a, a small group curriculum. This is a, a centralized course, a high-quality course. So think of, if you know Alpha, uh, it's similar in that sense, only it's for discipleship. It's a little more complicated. You've got trained table leaders, uh, and you've got a trained point leader. So it's not like you're going to... There's a kit. You're going to buy the kit, but you, no, you've got to get trained to actually use it. You just don't plug it in. Uh, it's, it took us 22 years, actually. It's been 23 now, and, and uh, we're in the early stages of actually embedding it. And so we're, um, and so here's the spirituality course. Uh, many of you know the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book, um, you know, which is probably the most popular book out there. And, but each of these eight, it was put together to be an introduction to this, this, this culture, this discipleship that deeply changes lives. But each one of these is eight sessions, is worthy of eight weeks. Uh, and we decided, no, we're going to put it in one part course here around the spirituality book because we want to just introduce the culture and then the leadership's got to reinforce it now and live it. So it starts with the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, which has two components. One is you're unaware. You're not aware of what's going on inside of you even. And secondly, you don't have a deep walk with God like David. Uh, secondly, know yourself that you may know God, that you actually know, not just you know God, you know yourself your feeling, your passions, your desires, and you know God looks at David. Then go back to go forward, looks at Joseph, and I got to know how my past is informing my present. It looks at the story of Joseph and his grief and loss, then journey through the wall, and looks at things called dark nights of the soul, and how the ordinary way that God rewires us and transforms us is through valleys, dark nights. And we look at Abraham sacrificing Isaac, and then enlarge your soul through grief and loss, this massive biblical theme. But most people do not do sadness. They don't know what to do with it. They medicate, suppress it, deny it. Versus the biblical model of paying attention to it, bringing it before God, you know, waiting on him, and then letting something new be birthed out of it. But it's being willing to enter into one's grief. We have a whole book called Lamentations, but we don't do it as part of our discipleship. And so it introduces that theme. And then, the, then rhythms of daily office, daily and weekly Sabbaths. These guys talk to so it's a culture. We're not just 24-7. We're not doing machines uh, and grow into emotional mature. It's not just loving God, it's loving other people maturely. And then finally, uh, how do I develop a rule of life, a center life around Jesus? And so that's the, just the spirituality part one course. It's a lot. Uh, but again, we're back to culture. It's a way of, in our church, it's a stake in the ground. Everyone goes through it, but then leadership's actually really living it and reinforcing it. And then the relationships course is what we talked about earlier, all these skills of how we operate. And, um, that gets then reinforced in the wider culture. But we didn't know how to create a culture. Honestly, I, I, we're, we're, from, we're from New York, which is like New York, much like most younger folks, is anti-program. Like, nobody wants a program because we're program burnt out. And, uh, but we found that we needed a programmatic element to change culture. And so, honestly, it took us a very long time to get there because we were so reluctant. Like, we were the last church that ever would have done purpose-driven life. Like, like it would have just been a disaster. You know, just, just wouldn't have worked. And yet, here we are. We created something because we didn't know how. Our church had grown to over 1,000 people, and it was uneven culturally. And we needed to systematize and say, this is the core content, and we're going to put a stake in the ground. This is how we do discipleship, and it's how we do leadership development flows out of that. And we are going to form a culture around this. Uh, and it's meant, you know, a massive difference uh, all these years. But, um, again, you, the kind of a core theme you're hearing is we have to be the culture. We, you are the culture you want to produce. Like, that's the difficult part. I'm going to be the culture. I'm going to, I'm going to be the material, not just teach the material. And the promise our evangelical tradition is just teach it. 
as you teach it, hopefully you'll learn it. Well, that's true to a certain extent. But the most important concern is we slow down enough to actually be it. Okay, let me stop there. Let me take up a questions here. Showed a lot of questions. Yes. Yes. Okay. So my question is um, kind of with the what's taught and what's caught. So I need to make sure no one from my church is in here. So All right. for example, I think that um, in my particular context, we have this culture of honor, right? So we honor our pastors and we honor our leaders. And um, when we started small, I think that's a really great thing of filling the gap with trust. And that's a culture that we create. Um, but now I think we've gotten to a point where we honor our pastors. And so everyone's scared to confront the pastor, you know, and it's people tiptoe around. So, and I, and we're starting to like, catch some of these things, what's being taught and what's being caught, but it's just small conversations popping up. How do you notice if a culture has gone too far or how do you scale it back? Like, how do you notice it? And then how do you go correcting it on the other side is, I guess, my question. Sounds like you're noticing some things. (laughs) And they're accurate. (laughs) Well, I would say this. I mean, every... You know, no church culture is perfect, first of all. We know that, right? And culture is a very slow thing to form and change. Uh, I would say to you, and I, I don't want to go into a whole big questions about your church, but I, my recommendation would be, and our recommendation is, is that you, um, you begin to change culture in a healthy way, in a small way, in a pocket. So, for example, um, in lots of churches which have unhealth in different levels, um, Depends on where the lead pastor is. You don't want to do anything without permission from the leadership. But uh, we've seen in, in multiple, many cases where people will start like, I'm going to bring in this EH subject of culture in a corner. We're going, to do a, we're going to do the course. We're going to pilot the course. And it begins to have life in it, and it begins to spread very slowly. Because it's so radical. It's such an icebreaker. It's so, it's so foreign. And you may give your you know, leadership a book. They may read it. But this is still a lot to be lived out. And I would just say that you know, I, I, you know, changing culture is Big. I mean, that's, you're talking about it takes a long time. And I would just say you go very slow and you go very small and very respectfully. Um, and uh, I can't speak about where your respect of honoring culture, you don't say anything to your leadership that you, is appropriate to say, and you do it respectfully and kindly. That may be more about you than them. You're with me? Your, your fear of doing it. Uh, I think you do have, like Daniel, I think we have a, a an obligation to, in a, in a submissive way, to say some things to leadership that are appropriate in a very humble, kind way, not in a demanding way. Like, if you don't do this, I'm leaving type of thing. That's about your heart, I think, in going at it. So I think the first thing about culture, you're in that culture. You're part of that culture. And how do I be a, serve this culture to be a healthier place? That's kind of a large question. But, yeah, you're going. One of the things, so I can't recommend the relationships course highly enough in that, it gives a certain kind of language to be able to speak truthfully and respectfully. Mm, that's true. One of the things that we often say is that, you know, some cultures either lean towards being overly respectful and not truthful. Mm-hmm. Other cultures yeah. tend towards being overly truthful and not very respectful. Like that's New Yorkers true. are really good at that. Yeah, yeah that's true. Overly that's truthful, true. not enough respectful. One of the beautiful things about the course, like, um, I mean, like one of the one of the practices, for instance, is, is how to how to give a complaint with a a preference or a request, request for, change. for change. 
and uh, how every complaint mm, needs to come from the professor trained. And every complaint needs to describe a behavior and mm. not the person. So I remember like when we were practicing initially, like when we were doing complaints with request trained, I'd be like, I noticed oh, I noticed that person's being a jerk and my preference is that they weren't a jerk. You know, and then you know, pink jerk, like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Those that that's not a behavior. That those are fighting words. Those are mean spirited words. Right? But like we think we're being nice and we think we're being speaking truth to power, but we're really being yes. Uh, like the rest of the world the way that we're doing conflict. And so it's like, Drew, can you be more specific about the behavior? Can you be yeah. specific and kind and not... And, and that's where, Excellent. again, this is where we're trying to shape culture mm-hmm. with language, the way that we do that. Excellent. And so, yeah. Well right. said, Drew. Others? Good. Yes? That if what you're talking about sounds primarily geared toward like institutional workplace church. But in the context of like one-on-one or one-on-two or three disciples, yep. how does that translate? I would I would say the same. Wouldn't you say? I mean, I, I can't I can't think of any different. I, I mean, our goal for we know we're doing well when people are bringing this material. They're learning in the new family of Jesus a whole new culture, and they're bringing it to their workplace. They're bringing it to the school. They're bringing it to the family. They're bringing it to the neighborhood. That's when we know we're doing successful discipleship. It's actually going. I was talking to someone earlier at a workshop. He works in the marketplace. And he releases chaplains for the marketplace. I said our vision is is really from the church to the marketplace, not so much sending chaplains to the marketplace. I think it's a fantastic vision. And I would say to you, no, I, I think it totally applies to the workplace, but it starts with you and the folks that you're with there. And I, what a fanta- I mean, a group of three is awesome. But you've got to get it in you. I think that's, yeah, you don't, when, you, when you're being this material, like it's your being, it can't help but overflow out of you. Like, you don't, I don't need to give you nine questions to ask the person. Because you know what? You're just naturally coming to them with certain questions. Like, if I'm with you, I don't need to, you don't need to tell me, I don't need to tell Drew, Drew, make sure you ask that pastor about his marriage. No, I mean, he's going to ask. It's just in him. And I, I think that's, that's what we're looking for. Our being has been marinated enough in the kind of core values and discipleship depth that you just bring it to everybody around you. Is that? Yeah. Yes. Someone, yes, honey. Good question is, how do you handle it when, when there's an elephant in the room, you confront the elephant, and they don't respond well? Over and over and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot the elephant. Yeah. Shoot it. I mean, I don't know. Uh, how do you handle it? Uh, jurist, do you have an easy I don't know. It's a very hard thing, isn't it? Now, it depends on what's your relationship to the elephant. Did you hire the elephant? Co-worker elephant. Okay, you're not married to the elephant. Authority over them. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty common problem, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It depends on the level of I think, elephantness. I think you have to reach at some point or some level. Uh, you have to decide whether you can be healthy and stay in that environment. Yeah, that's true. Because, yeah. because that environment, and I'm just speaking based on what you're saying, that environment will continue to, to cause you to be more and more unhealthy. Uh, and so at some point you have to decide... Do I need yeah. to make a change? But, but just, you know, I, I don't know the situation, but very often, not all the time, by any means, it really is about us first. Yes, that's why I went to Celebrate Recovery, actually. Excellent. You may need now advanced Celebrate Recovery, okay? <laughs> because it's such an intense issue. Say it's a guy who's coming, a little bit of harassment, maybe he's coming on you strong, you know, and you're like, I can't, you know, I, I told him to back off and it's not working, but I'd probably want to explore with you, how did you tell him to back off? You know, let's talk about how strong and clear you were. 
Uh, at what point are you saying, you do this again, I'm going to tell a boss who's going to investigate you. you know, I'm, I'm going to tell HR about this. I'm, I don't know the steps there, but very often it's our issue first before you know, I walk out the door. But it may be I walk out the door. But 90% of the time, the first few steps are all about my, because I hate this kind of situations, right? Like, why didn't they get the hint and de-elephantize uh, and get normal on me? Uh, but very often it's God putting me in this situation to grow me up, to get a hold of my values, and to handle a situation with a greater level of maturity than I have in the past. And I've not wanted to grow up. So I would really go down that road first before I go into it. Yes. Oh, you. Can you play a sample of one of the segments? Can, can you play a sample of one of the segments? I, I don't think we have time, but I, but you can go on our website and watch one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Go, go, go to the website, emotionalhead.org, and slash launch, and you'll see some sample segments and watch it. It'll be worth doing. Uh, and to address that, this is a completely different situation than the inter-lateral kind of colleague conflict. But I just want to say, and this is probably the first time I'm publicly going to say this with Pete here with me. My last year at New Life Fellowship, I was very inappropriate to my boss. I was the boss. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was going through my own season of depression, and, and I was very reactive to Pete and his leadership. This is my last year. I, I, we've never talked about this publicly. We've talked about it privately, so, and I, I trust this. I said yes, he I, said no. I, I said I, up, he said down. It was I one of those things. A, a <laughs> I, was, I was really inappropriate, and uh, I, was, I was temperamental, I was mean-spirited, I was reactive to Pete, and uh, he was so patient and so kind. And I can only say this, like, after I left, I actually had to come back and I had to apologize, and we had to have honest conversations, and I realized something that, that has formed me to this day was, now that I'm in senior leadership, like, it just came, I, like, it came to me like, oh my goodness, Pete was so patient with me. And later when I asked him about it, he was talking about how he brought this to God like every day. When, whenever I would be quick and temperamental, with, I was the elephant, you know? I was the elephant at those meetings. And, and Pete was, like looking back, how patient he was, how kind he was, how generous he was, how he was not reactive. And I realized, and when I asked him about it, it's, and he said, Drew, you don't understand what I like. The, the anguish he was going through and the prayerfulness and I think it just modeled to me, again, this, for me, it was, it was the most incredible model of senior leadership to me that to, to this day, I routinely remember this. And um, it's just stayed with me. And I realized this is where the integration of emotional health, contemplative spirituality, this being with God before Jesus. And I realized this is what Pete was doing. He was bringing before God me. He knew that I was this young, kind of arrogant kid who he had seen grow up for 10 years, and he knew that there was a lot that I didn't know that I didn't know. And he was so patient with me, and yet he was, he was pointing things out. I think it was a regular, it was a routine, also routine, like, hey, it's an elephant, man, you got to deal with this thing. And it was, but I just, I didn't have, and I realized, like, he didn't cut my head off. And uh, I just, so, yeah. I mean, but that was a tremendous model for me of, again, the integration of all of that. And I don't know if you want to comment. Yeah, yeah, that. no, no. I, it's a different example. I mean, obviously, I, I, I wasn't afraid to confront him if I needed to. But I'm, obviously, I'm older. But I could see he was working through his own. His, his, he's differentiating, right? As a young leader, incredibly gifted, and I just knew I had to. I was a 
object in a sense. I wasn't a person. I was an object for him working out this stuff with authority and all that. And I was okay. I mean, I, I was, it was painful. And it was going to come a point where he's going to have to leave. And I just wasn't there yet. I didn't think it was necessary. Uh, and he was in his own process. And I, I just knew it was God's will for me in his life, to be honest. And uh, so it was a little bit, it wasn't hard for me. It was hard. But what God wanted me to do was clear. I wasn't, I wasn't wondering about it. Um, and uh, you know, he, I knew he was going to come into his own place, and it wasn't my, I wasn't going to teach him. I knew I couldn't teach him anything more. I, I was, he wasn't going to learn from me anymore. He was going to learn, and that was okay. But uh, all right, uh, one last question, and we'll go. Okay, yes, yes. Do we get two questions? And if I can answer real quick, we'll do it. If not, we'll just close it, and I'll get you later. Yes. Okay, yeah, it's good. We have many cultures in our church. Were you saying create one culture or many cultures? We are 75 cultures in our church. Okay, we have 75 different countries. We have Indonesian fellowship, South Asian fellowship, Filipino fellowship, multiple languages. No, we have the one culture we're creating is the new family of Jesus. We are the new family of Jesus. Period. Now, it has nuances culturally, of course, respectfully, but we are one family of Jesus. African American, Latino, Indian, Cambodian, it doesn't matter. We are one family. We're under scripture. And we're going to help flesh it out for you very practically. So come ask us questions about that afterwards. Everybody, thank you. Please check out the booth out there to get on our mailing list here uh, at the Zondervan booth. But thank you very much. It's been great to be with you, everybody. Appreciate it. That message was from Pete Scazzaro from Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Make sure to share this episode with someone who you think might like it and connect with us at discipleship.org.